0: Welcome, Welcome to, to On Resistance.
1: Resistance! We reject the tools of social control, from coercion to government, which purposely disempower us from shaping our own reality and alienating us from exploring anything that differs from the status quo. We are anti-capitalists, aimed at dismantling hierarchy, exploitation, and power structures embodied within our current society. We hope to inspire creativity, dialogue, and direct action against the capitalist state and all variations of oppression that uphold societal
0: hierarchies of race,
1: gender, class, sexuality, and ability.
0: Our collective includes and stands in solidarity with people of color fighting against the structures of white supremacy and apologism. We encourage the process of decolonization by acknowledging that assimilation, which is built around a culture of whiteness, is dependent on a culture of anti-blackness.
2: Ideas and voices against all intersections of oppression are usually kept away from the mic, marginalized and managed by those in power, those with capital and their beneficiaries. We are here to be boldly insubordinate to such complementary oppressive systems whom expect us to remain complicit and silent or to avoid controversy during such pivotal times as global uprising.
3: Instead, expect our voices to rise as we encourage unapologetic, radical critique and widespread defiance. The culture of resistance, of opposition, is growing.
1: Hello, welcome to On Resistance, this is Candace and today we're going to be talking about decolonizing the left. So yeah, let's jump into it because I know we all have a lot to say. What does decolonization mean to you?
0: Hi, I'm Jay Ray. To me, decolonization means unlearning the mentalities that have been imposed upon us, how we think, how we act in our relation to each other, the land, our urges, um, our performance of society. For me personally, it takes a lot of unlearning assimilation, assimilation to whiteness, how to talk, how to act. Um, how to be successful, how to take advantage of your privileges in the society. Um, And decolonization means rejecting that narrative um, and kind of going to the root, reconnecting with each other, the land, and not um, performing to assimilate.
3: Hi, guys. uh, My name is Ryan. Decolonization means to me, uh, it's a big concept. I think I first heard of just the word in general within a political context when um, folks in Oakland started a, a decolonized Oakland out of a response to Occupy politics that uh, didn't seem to have an intersectional critique about what it is they were doing, about the tactics they were using. I learned of that concept, I guess, to, to, to try and uh, be self-critical of our tactics as, as political, quote-unquote, activists or just people in general. So for me, I would say that uh, questioning the assigned roles and expectations that society puts on us and how that perpetuates normality, how that perpetuates uh, the ruling class staying in power, the the structures maintaining the status quo, that whole kind of kit and caboodle, I suppose. I, I feel like I, I'm new to kind of um, resistance in general. And uh, just the past couple of years, I think decolonizing the left, I've looked at um, how Institutions such as unions, the Democratic Party, the, the bipartisan dictatorship of blue and red, how that looks at resistance, which was, you know, I think arguably that's what Occupy was, looks at that and tries to uh, manage it, pacify it, co-opt it.
2: So um, that's the context that I see decolonized. Hello, I'm X. I think um, what decolonization is to me is a kind of... Um, well, like people were saying before, we're so steeped in a culture that is under systems of oppression that kind of sprouted from early colonization. Yeah, there's all of these socializations that people are very, very unaware of. We're not just like socialized in a bubble; we're kind of socialized under white supremacist, capitalist, ableist, heterosexist patriarchy, and we we find it very. Um, interesting that a lot of the times when it comes to colonization, there's a kind of um, orthodoxy that uh, that forms within, within it. So I guess decolonization to me is just kind of ridding ourselves of these kind of old ways of oppressive kind of like relations that we have uh, with each other, with the land, with, um, yeah, all of our relationships.
1: I guess... Decolonizing to me um, on a personal level, as a black woman, I think of a white its relation of like truly understanding white supremacy and like how that relates to anti-blackness and like how growing up in a society, like how you can internalize some of those things. So for me, it's been actively trying to like shed away uh, whiteness and assimilation, you know, from everything to like wearing my hair natural, you know, for um, not feeling like I need to speak the King's English a certain way um and Mm -hmm. kind of rejecting that idea of like grammar or proper way of speaking and academia and all of that um so yeah that's what it means to be okay so since we kind of defined in our own way what decolonization means um how about the left because that can mean so many different things so what does the left mean to you guys any takers (laughs) that's a big
0: question It is a pretty big question. Um, So when I first heard the left, I thought it was just like, you know, typical left, right, binary, including liberalism. But as I was becoming radicalized, I learned that there was an entirely different meaning imposed upon that one particular term that comes to represent like a whole breadth of resistance, um, which I think is very interesting. And So I came to learn the left as meaning the revolutionary left, including those ideologies that would consider themselves anti-capitalist, communism, socialism, people would include anarchism in that. I started blogging a lot through my resistance and through my despair and started reading about and asking questions like, what is this left that people keep throwing about um, without defining ever? And so they kind of explained to me that it meant that when there was monarchy and people were um, against reform, people wanted revolution. They wanted transformative change. So those people were traditionally the ones sitting to the left of the king. This is something that I read as like the origin of leftism. So people who want revolutionary change. Um, in my opinion, now it's become a little bit co-opted by liberalism. A mm-hmm. lot of people who are leftists do use liberal tactics um, and then kind of hide behind the mantra of ideology, of being on the ideological left, but in practice, not so much.
3: What, uh, what liberal tactics? What do you mean by that? Candace mentioned um some types of things she does that decolonize. I don't want to talk about big words without talking about the specifics of like what is a liberal tactic for example, you know.
1: Can I, can I, I don't know, permitted marches I would say is one.
0: I would say appealing to the media, mm. appealing to the mass without understanding that the mass is produced by the media that we are not homogenous, which means all uniform, the same.
2: Political conformity mm. <laughs> without question. <laughs> you know, programmatic, very, very rigid, very, um, there's always a program to follow. There's always a, uh, kind of, um, appealing to those in power. One might say that, you know, leftism is possibly, uh, more dangerous and more kind of corrosive to the fabric of our existence than, than the right is because it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's such a facade, you know, there's a facade of change. There's a kind of, opting having to opt into something in order to feel as though you're 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 changing, you know, the world or you're doing something good when in actuality it's just kind of a it's kind of prolonging the power of people the yeah, ruling elite, you know, people with money and who are in high skyscrapers with high, you know, budgets and
1: <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of I felt like you know especially last two years like the sort of things i need to be worried about the most like politically are like the liberals and the established left you know like because like from everything from them trying to co-opt everything or the idea of territory especially like in los angeles and you know um that i feel like there's that sort of like hierarchy and you know as someone who is like i don't know self-proclaimed horizontalist like i think that like that is something that We actively have to like try to fight against, and that includes like liberals and like established left, I guess.
3: Uh, Yeah, X, I was just gonna thank you for bringing up the facade of the left, and I don't want to talk too much about politicians, but for me, Barack Obama was kind of a a really interesting uh, wake up call about the facade of the left and the danger of the left when the system has relied. Upon a black face and a high place, an office to build the world's largest military base in the center of Africa, yeah, I don't think um, the American people would have allowed that had, had this, the skin of this president been white. So to me that that's a interesting danger of how the facade of of the left, I mean it, it's no, no different than, than the right in terms of uh, the, the decisions they make that affect poor people.
1: Yeah, at least with the right, you kind of feel like you know where they stand more, you know what I mean? Like, they're really open in the fact that they're, like, in favor of corporations and, you know, capitalism. And, you know, liberals kind of say they're not, and then they are. Their actions show that.
2: Yeah, there's, like, a kind of—there's this dichotomy that you have to fall into. It's either the left or the right dichotomy. And if you don't fall into it, then, like, well, where do you belong? Where do you belong in, you know, the political stratosphere that is the country that you're, you know, fighting in. Yeah, where are you?
0: <laughs> where are you at? Um, <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because most leftists, because of trying to meet the immediate immediate needs of the people, found always find themselves supporting uh, mainstream electoral politics and. I even read um, an anarchist position about how if we want to reach the hearts and minds, if we want to support the immediate needs of the people, then we'll support Barack Obama because he's the best hope. Like mm-hmm. even if we yeah. don't support the presidency and this hierarchical system that disenfranchises like the masses, the people want him. So we, if we support the people, we will support the process of electing Barack Obama. And so this is this process of compromise I find that happens continuously on the left. And so I think that the phrase meeting the immediate needs of the people needs to really be broken down. I don't know if that'll happen this show, but (laughs) it isn't a sufficient justification to supporting electoralism, which undermines any potential for revolution.
3: Yeah, I think that word compromise is a really good point. Um, If you look at the recent kind of uh, union-backed, Fast Food Workers Strike and Walmart Workers Strike and hopefully Target gets in on it this Black Friday. They're asking for $15 and they have the support of some heavy unions, Um, SEIU I think is one of them. But already they're starting out on a compromise. If the minimum wage had kept the pace with inflation, it would be just under $22 an hour. So the fact that they're asking for just a third of that, that's already begun a compromise. It's a pattern of the left where, where you say, well, you obviously can't have everything. I mean, you can. You can have everything, but the, the system won't allow you to. So what do you have to do to, to take the heart out of that fight is to give a compromise off the get-go, and then you're going to get used to not getting it all, which is what the system wants.
2: I have a reading that I would like to share with uh, with people out there. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit, what people think about, about this reading. It's called um, From Politics to Life. For the left, the social struggle against exploitation and oppression is essentially a political program to be realized by whatever means are expedient. Such a conception obviously requires a political methodology of struggle, and such a methodology is bound to contradict some basic anarchist principles. First of all, politics as a distinct category of social existence is the separation of the decisions that determine our lives from the execution of those decisions. This separation resides in institutions that make and impose those decisions. It matters later to how democratic or, or consensual those institutions are, the separation and institutionalization in, inherent in politics always constitute an imposition simply because they require that decisions be made before the circumstances to which they apply arise. This makes it necessary that they take on the form of general rules that are always to be applied, and certain types of situations, regardless of the specific circumstances, the seeds of ideological thinking in which ideas rule the activities of individuals rather than serving individuals in developing their own projects are found here. But I will go into that later. Of equal importance from an anarchist perspective is that the power lies in these decision-making and enforcing institutions. And the leftists, conception of social struggle is precisely of one of influencing taking over or creating alternative versions of these institutions in other words it is a struggle to change not to destroy institutionalized power relationships
0: Hmm.
2: anyone agree with that (laughs) boom (laughs) (laughs) i agree with that (laughs) i do too Yeah. yeah this is an interesting reading but there are some really problematic things in the reading however i agree with that sentiment it is kind of ceding to power, it is organizational politics, it is representation, it's homogenization. It's like, it's colonization. <laughs> really, <laughs>
0: I think it. a lot of um, leftism still relies on hierarchy. And it's interesting because even amongst strains of what people would call the far left, what I would call the rejection of the left, autonomy, anarchism, people disagree like a lot of anarchists disagree on the the strategy forward on where we're placing our effort how we should wage or should i say engage this war that's being waged against us Um, Mm. and rejection of politics is actually part of that so a lot of people it's interesting because you demonstrate that you actually care about the the world that we live in and the power relations and the hierarchy relations and you want to decolonize the effects of these relationships that have had on us that limit us from going forward And it comes down to really talking about like, are we going to replicate power dynamics, which is politics, or are we going to destroy them? Mm.
2: Yeah, I would say that when you have a party politics, unions and federations, you have to really look at their kind of like representative role in so many times, so many organizations try to kind of like represent an actual struggle or represent a, a movement or represent, you know, it it becomes so rigid that people often, instead of focusing on the struggle, they focus more on the representation of the organization. Um, mm. Mm. And so much, so much of the left is is uh, riddled with this kind of a, uh, this kind of logic, this kind of yeah, this colonized logic of uh, building like a party kind of po- politic and platform in order to in order to win over the masses in order to win over you know uh so many yeah hearts and minds when all it you know all it's doing is like keeping on replicating these very very problematic social relationships of power yeah i i
3: think um two of the things that come to mind when we're talking about like decolonizing our tactics i know there was just a socialist elected up in seattle or somewhere in washington that you know, the the left, or I don't know, maybe even you all listeners were really excited about. To me, that is a statist that is conforming to the status quo, and I don't think we're going to see them be effective at all. The second thing that, come, that comes to mind when we talk about decolonizing the left and the tactics of the left is, I just recently had a birthday and some old friend of mine commented about the, the debt action that I think it has originated out of uh, New York and Occupy Wall Street, where with about 400 grand in raised money, they've been able to pay off $15 million in uh, distressed debt. And people are celebrating this. I'm looking at it as, okay, we've just uh, allowed our tactics to be colonized and burned away $400,000 because that's giving money to the institution that, that wasn't going to receive money in the first place. And, of course, that's going to be a tactic that mainstream lauds as, as, and celebrates as, as a thing we should all be doing. But I wasn't involved with it at all. I had to tell tell my friend, no, I I was not the brains behind that operation, and I think that's a waste of time. You're raising four hundred thousand dollars. That's rent for several years for a space to to do horizontal organizing out of, to to give food and clinics out of, and instead it's just it's paid off these institutions that got money when they wouldn't have, and to me that's a really offensive that people like like that idea.
2: Mm.
0: Real quick, I just wanted to put it in an international context. So I recently heard through a teach-in, through a report back from someone who's involved in a party that is trying to seize power in Honduras. They actually, like the president was deposed through a coup and... After that, there was mass resistance in the streets. We're talking barricades. We're talking Molotovs. We're talking resistance to institutions of power that continuously suppress the will of the people to create something for themselves. And in that vacuum, a party arose, a socialist party. Um, I think they call itself themselves the Liberty or Freedom Party. And the person, the candidate they're putting forward is the partner or wife of the president that was deposed oh no so it's interesting because you can see how clearly it recuperates the energy in the streets like oh we have a lot of angry youth militant things that are scary to the establishment and instead of letting those people actually shape the outcome uh, we go we default to leftism we Mm. default to party politics and we put forward a party that is talking about socialism is talking about anti-capitalism and maybe if this party gets elected we'll spend the next 40 years talking openly about anti-capitalism in the political sphere but you know what we don't want to talk about anti-capitalism anymore um talking about it doesn't reach you know it may reach the hearts and minds but not the stomachs of the people and we need more practical Mm. application uh, rather than like political power relations And, you know, if it's the wife of the former president, the privilege, the hierarchy, the echelon, that isn't being challenged at all. They're calling it a revolution. They're calling this like a socialist, socialism seizing power in Honduras. Um, But the power relations don't seem to have changed Mm -hmm. much at all.
1: And right now we're going to do a report back from our last show where we talked about gang injunctions.
0: So, about a week after the show aired about gang injunctions exposing how the police, the city attorney, and the neighborhood council works together to ignore the voices of the people when they um, self-organize, they actually pushed through the gang injunction in court. Um, Nobody knew it was happening. Uh, The court date was supposed to be October 30th, and they just pushed it through and they made it permanent. Um, And that really goes to show you that the democratic process does not exist to empower the people because when the people are empowered, they just change the rules. So it's been very interesting in Echo Park, Inglewood, YJC, Uh, We went forward with uh, an anti-injunction bike ride that was really amazing. Learned a lot about the history of Los Angeles and colonization and displacement and gentrification. So in the wake of this gang injunction being pushed through in completely undemocratic ways, which isn't surprising considering representative government is not democratic at all, you know, people are still organizing. We're still looking for support.
2: Yeah, including in in that kind of action that they had where they performed CD and... YJC kind of uh, took the streets as uh, zombie police officers. There was a lot of literature passed around, food by Comida no Bombas, and um, a lot of good community building. There wasn't that much of a heavy police response. We think they were playing their cards uh, strategically. Also, in report back, some of us participated in the October 22nd Anti-Police Brutality Coalition Well, it was the the event, the action. It was interesting. It was a lot of uh, rah-rah, a lot of um, reform kind of politics, which is another, yeah, uh, leftist kind of tactics. It's reforming these problems instead of actually getting to the root of them and stopping, literally stopping these things from happening. Yeah, a lot of us kind of uh, took to the streets. They had a permit on the street for two lanes and when people took more than than two lanes um there was a lot of peace policing i think we talked about at our last show about um the travesty of like a lot of liberal leftist organizers feeling that it's the responsibility of them to keep people maintained and they kind of take the role of the the police you know a lot of kind of like backlash involved in that where Some people, you know, call people who do take the streets, the entirety of the streets, provocateurs or for shouting like FTP. They're saying, you know, that's not really creating unity among everyone. And then when we passed by the school, a lot of the kids were had the FTP sentiment. They were all about it. So we would question some of the organizers, well, like, are you going to tell them that this is their community? Like, tell them, stop saying FTP. Like, do that. (laughs) Because, um you don't represent like this actual, the dissent that these kids are displaying. You don't represent really anything. So it was it was interesting. Uh, other people want to speak to October twenty second.
0: Oh two two, yeah. I think it does say a lot about organizational hierarchies and um, oftentimes the organizers. We want the masses. We want the masses to mm-hmm. come to this protest, but we want the masses to follow our rules, and so. We go to this march and Mad Solidarity, lots of you know families who have lost uh, the lives of loved ones to police brutality. Also, you know lots of people who tend to believe that it's not all police, just some police. <laughs> but if you look at the role of the police, it's definitely inherently oppressive. You know, the police tend to do this thing where they approach organizers and they threaten them. And they say, hey, if you don't do this, if you don't stay on the sidewalk, if you don't stay in one lane, we can't guarantee your safety, which is a threat to if you don't do this, we're going to beat you. And because of that, you know, people work with the police, they get permits, we were allowed to take one lane. Um, When we didn't immediately take one lane, they saw fit to release the Kraken, as in like all of their bike police, and then a couple car police. And what's interesting is that The people end up dividing. So then some people are like, nah, like I'm going to take the street because if we don't stay on the street, the people can't hear our message in the cars, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then because the police are coming, the organizers, uh, what some people will term peace police uh, security teams, will come out and start like harassing you. Kind of using their bodies like the police Mm -hmm. and getting in your face and saying, you don't want people to get beaten, do you? And let me tell you, that is abusive. <laughs> like, if you come up to me and semi-threaten me by, like, pretending that you're not about police violence and, like, I somehow am, that's, yeah. I'm not going to listen to you. That's not going to happen. It's not
2: a valid argument.
0: Peace, police. The same thing happened in Corcoran when we yeah. did the
1: prisoner yeah. solidarity action, which we spoke about on our last show. Yeah, that was really frustrating for OT2 feeling like the march ended with a rally and i feel like whenever organizers like have rallies at the end of a march they do that to kind of make sure that you know nothing else happens and it doesn't continue and they can like better control it i felt like there was opportunity for us to continue past the police line and to like take the streets longer and i really hate going to actions where i feel like i have to be monitored and controlled And because of what I was talking about before, like, the idea of, like, territory or not, like, wanting to disrespect, like, the hierarchy of organizers who organize an event, if people were to do that because this has happened before, then, you know, it would be an issue. It would be a disrespect. And, like, I feel like that sort of, like, entitlement of, like, thinking you own this, like, police brutality, like, action is, like, part of what, you know, decolonizing the left because, you know, RCP were the ones that organized the event and Sorry,
2: put them on black? Yeah, no. I mean, (laughs) Revolutionary Communist Party needs to understand that they do not have a monopoly on anti-police brutality. And furthermore, you know, I think I pointed this out when I spoke at the thing. Police brutality is kind of a uh, redundant concept. You know, it's like if you want to abolish police brutality, you would have to... Abolish the actual police because they use brutality to organize the masses like for social control and to protect property like that's how That's how they work. That's how they operate. Like what you just said Candice These are both kind of examples. Both of these report
3: backs are examples of how we've been colonized, right? Mm. J-Ray probably most briefest of mentions of the Silver Lake neighborhood council I'm gonna mention (laughs) them more because they threw their community under the bus Mm. And everyone on the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council uh, needs to be put on blast for that because the meeting we went to had, um, uh, we're going to get their names. We put <laughs> them on blast. Uh, the meeting we went to had about Keep 150 people that were adamantly opposed to this. And the folks on the Neighborhood City Council that are aides and stooges for the people in power, the, for the tools of gentrification, they had to text in someone that was sick. So they could win the vote to mm-hmm. pass this illegitimately with the, with the whole gymnasium full of people screaming at them. Shame. So that, oh, as well as the fact that just peace police as a concept with the 0 22 thing, both of these things, like the neighborhood city council doesn't have any power, right? Peace police folks that are a part of the security team on, the, on these marches don't have any power. But the way we've been colonized to look at hierarchy, to look at like what's appropriate, what's polite, what's respectful is totally undermining the power people have. Right, If you're tone policing me by saying I need to respect the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council or I need to respect the folks that are asking the police to march against them, that is how we've been colonized by white supremacists, politeness, courtesy, all of these things that keep us mm-hmm. in check,
2: but don't actually question the foundations of our oppression. Yeah, it's like we can't even express the brevity of like the absurdity of this, this circus of going to this neighborhood council, Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. And them just like trying to pull a fast one in front of us because like Ryan had mentioned before, it wasn't even a tie when one of the chair people of the board said, I'm going to opt in to to break the tie. And people were kind of looking at each other like, what? Like, it's not even a tie. Y'all it's not count. even a tie. You can't count. <laughs> and like, this is fishy. You were expecting a tie for some reason. And then suddenly you say that, You know, I'm going to do the tiebreaker. And then they text in, like, another person to, you know, participate. And a lot of people shut down the actual meeting. The public shut down the meeting because it was really asinine for them to, to go on with it. It was this blatant display of corruption. And they voted for the Echo Park gang injunction. And people, families who had been targeted by the police already... Who weren't, you know, in gangs and weren't were being criminalized and like possibly pushed out of their neighborhoods, were really really upset. So people shouted and disrupted the meeting. And then later on, a lot of the the neighborhood council said that some people that were participating in some of the the organizing against the Echo Park gang injunctions, they were saying that they were like the kind of leaders of this kind of like dissent. They were responsible for the shutdown of the actual meeting. But I, w- I just wanna like tell, you know, these Silver Lake Neighborhood Council <laughs> members that it's extremely racist to assume that we people of color are, you know, being uppity and being led by these adults, these people that have positions of power inside of the Neighborhood Council. Like we, we can't think for ourselves, like we, we don't go through this every single day. It's really upsetting, so
0: however you think the vote went down like i do not care you know Mm -hmm. the people came they demonstrated some sort of faith in your democratic process in bringing very 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 intense personal problems about policing and like prisons and like getting displaced and gentrification is continuous displacement for capital like for capitalism like you're putting money before people like point blank that's it and this is still happening the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council, a couple of the people on the board put forward a motion trying to re- redistribute the blame for what happened the night the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council got shut down by the youth. So this is still happening. They're spending time as a board of some sort of neighborhood representation, Paul Michael Newman and Marie Johnson. You should Google them. You know, they probably some of them, I don't know which ones, but some of them actually work during the day for the city council offices. So these people, you know, they have links. They sounds advertise. like a
2: conflict of interest. It sounds
0: like, you know, <laughs> political networking is the degradation of democracy. Mm. And literally these people are trying to blame particular people saying The community made them feel unsafe. You know what makes me feel unsafe? When you have cops at your meetings that protect you because Mm -hmm. you cannot bear to hear the voices of people against gentrification. Word. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. We spent a lot of time on report backs, but I think we had a lot to say. So, yeah, definitely Google the Civil Lake Neighborhood Council.
3: And unfriend them if you're a friend with them. I'm sure a lot of KPFK (laughs) listeners have connections in, like, small-time politics, and they Mm -hmm. believe real change happens with grassroots neighborhood council but maybe you should do shut Sunday. down their
1: meeting yeah start yeah. neighbor and or silver lake i know they have a general assembly but their general assembly has a lot of neighborhood council people so i feel like that's been colonized you know and so like really having an independent you know general assembly and not having a neighborhood council that's hierarchical that works with the city government and that totally just protects and promotes gentrification and represents the white people in silver lake you know is something that like hopefully people who claim to be about change and like Revolution. Yeah, be ask against.
3: ask him about it at the next dinner party. Uh, <laughs> decolonize yourself and say, "Oh, I don't need to stay polite at this dinner party. I can talk about religion and politics."
1: Yes, Thanksgiving weekend, right? <laughs> Thanks taking <laughs> <That's... laughs> genocide appreciation mm. day.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Speaking of, back to uh, our show's discussion, decolonizing the left. A lot of our language, just like decolonization, the left. You know, we described it deeper earlier before, but can be very. Uh, alienating and very like colonial so what about our language and academia and all that good stuff
2: well we've been colonized so <laughs> it's kind of like you know how people in when they were starting with like the occupy movement or whatever they were pointing out all these like people that are in the protests have all these like you know mac Phones and all of this technology from these evil corporations that they're protesting against. Well, unfortunately, the evil corporations, they kind of destroyed and stomped out any sort of like competition that there could have been within those business practices that could have made so you don't have like mom and pop shop cell phones or whatever. You So I kind of look at it that the same kind of way. I could have spoken my native language or I could have spoken any other language, but because of colonization, some people in my family restricted me from speaking other. Actively restricted me from speaking other languages because they believed I would grow up confused, or they believed that I would grow up um, more successful and a linguist if I had only one language to kind of choose from. So, I would say that yeah, we are using a colonizer kind of language in order to define and, like, shape our reality and emotions and express ourselves. But that's part of the kind of, like, dystopia, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the the left has always felt something, like, foreign to me, like, something that, like, I never could, like, necessarily consider myself a part of, you know? And, like, now I definitely, like, take pride in that I'm not a part of it. Um, But, like, mm. but I felt like it was, like, a sort of, like, I hadn't read Marx enough to be considered, like, a leftist. I hadn't, you know, um, my word vocabulary wasn't large enough to be a leftist. And a lot of that, like, recently came up. Um, white people were going to give each other awards, <laughs> you know? What? But, yes, white people were going to give each other awards for being anti-racist. No. You sound
0: surprised. <laughs> yes. You sound surprised. <laughs> and for being
3: anti-racist.
0: For being anti-racist. They were going to give each other cookies. But they and, meant a particular thing by anti-racist.
1: Yeah. They
0: meant what? I mean, they met, it was a particular theory. That's what it is. It was like the critique was like kind of not immediately heard because there was a particular theory called anti-racism. So this language of anti-racism, you know, was preceded by this academic theory. I don't know how academic yeah. it is because I don't know. But it's.
1: Yeah. And I don't know that theory. I just know my real life experiences of having to oh. deal with race. And, but obviously, I guess, like, for some of these organizers, that doesn't really qualify, you know? Like, you know, my 28 years of being a black woman and having to deal with, like, how to wear my hair for a job interview because they don't want to hire me because my hair is a little too natural and I might look a little too real, like, of being black. Like, that's not enough experience because, like, I don't understand the anti-racism theory. And those are, like, leftists.
2: So <laughs> let's um, kind of, yeah, pull this this idea apart. Where do I start?
3: Well, what's the motivation, right, yeah. behind an award ceremony in general? Like the, the cult of personality, the, yeah. the pedestaling, is, like is, is all to what? To get money.
0: I don't even want to deal with that. Like, whatever people's tactics in their organizations, however they feel they want to assign efficacy, that's fine. That's fine. But, like, using a theory and then having to explain your theory to the people your theory is about helping, <laughs> like, <laughs> not a okay It's a little,
2: yeah, it's a little, you know, disingenuous to, like, mm, boom. It's like, we, we want, you know, to spotlight these people for their work in, in anti racism. And we also want to make resources—we want the resources to continue because, like, they need it for—it's a newspaper. And it's like they're they're trying to raise funds for this well-known newspaper that some would call a lifeline to the—
1: Male prisoners because they don't give to women. We just found out they do not. They do not give it to the women prisoners or talk about women prisoners. Well— in that,
2: that being said, <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, because you can play up the ceremonial theatrical like practices of like awarding people for something. But then again, it's like in relation to people of color struggle and specifying giving people of European descent an award. And some of the organizers really believe that you know, white people or people of European descent should be given recognition for their work in anti-racism to cause a kind of like propaganda by the deed sort of like no. idea <laughs> that like oh awards if, if are not propaganda by award, the deed. I'm just no, yeah. but <laughs> but you get an award to a white person and they might want to be
0: rewarded. It's like more white people <laughs> might want to engage the struggle to be awarded.
2: Everyone should deserve a trophy, right? <laughs> I mean, that's another yeah way of saying that no one deserves a trophy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, as thanks-taking weekend is is I think it's necessary to really kind of reflect on a lot of genocide that has happened in this country, which I get extremely upset about when people bring up a lot of things regarding the constitution or this country isn't what it used to be, and it's like uh. well. This country was founded on genocide and then slavery and then a kind of like a veil over the eyes in terms of like opting into your own forms of oppression. And it's kind of like a mockery. I, I have indigenous ancestors and relatives currently who are still struggling within the world that we're living in. It's a, it's just really upsetting to have to cater to kind of leftist tactics when my people have been completely colonized by way of their minds, by way of their bodies, by even of their spirits. You know, any the only reason uh, any indigenous person believes in a Christian God is due to colonization. We haven't talked to so much about the kind of like relation between the church and the state too that much. That wouldn't be good leftism. Of, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's another orthodox kind of like thing. No one's really questioning that kind of like power relationship between churches, like organized religions as well as state, as well as like how that is complementary to to racism Mm. and to heterosexism and sexism and the gender binary and how it creates these rigid uh, roles that, you know, people have to like be catered to in order to survive, like kind of survive in a way.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You can bet that um, the choice for the next for the pope coming out of South America was intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. For me, uh, you know, talking about decolonizing the left and it being thanks taking weekend, I'm thinking a lot of consumerism and how that plays into our kind of plug and play activism and what a problem that is. We have one day events, right, that are permitted that are weekend events. And I understand working folks can't, do an action that's all the time. They they can come on Sunday afternoons and and do a thing, but that is consuming. It's consumption of activism. It's consumption of quote unquote resistance, where you hold a sign that's been mass printed by an organization you don't fully really know about, and you go and you march around for two hours and you think you've done something. It's the same thing with these with these white people award ceremonies. You know, thankfully mm-hmm. they're not happening. That group did listen to to the concerns and claim they were valid, so that's great. But the idea that you have to go to a gala and have a send-up of celebratory pedestal culture is the colonization of of what we view as as valid and important, right? Because you're gonna have these academics that, so you claim, oh, no one's making money off this, no one's making a profit. But because you've created this event to have awards, then you'll have people that can put this on their resume, that can get published or get a job more than someone else. Obviously, POC aren't qualified for this award. so. You're perpetuating the very thing you claim to be against by assimilating and, and tapping into that consumer mindset to, to get a quick buck, which is, tactics aside, that's, that's a whole other thing.
1: I also, because you said that, like, they did change the event. I, I do want to say that, like, I did take POC calling out the event for them to change it and the fact that it had to take for POC to do right. that for people who are getting anti-racist award, you know, just kind of
0: shows, again, like, the problem of that. So when I think about decolonizing the left, it kind of reminds me of like what dynamics happen in these organizing spaces, between organizing spaces, who has the credibility to question our strategies, the leftist strategies. It's really interesting because I feel like you have to almost be willing to get attacked to question and challenge the dominant narrative of like what we're supposed to be doing as good leftists mm-hmm. or good organizers or whatever this, this moralistic qualification of like good tactics is rather than understanding like the gravity of our situation. Like we aren't going to change capitalism by just seizing power. we need to Mm -hmm. decolonize and dismantle power. And I know there's a lot of concerns about how that practically looks because the idea is like, well, you know, this is the concern I hear most from leftists, is like if we build an alternative culture, an oppositional culture, and we grow our own food and we stop being reliant on capitalism and we start building our own general assemblies and our own communities that are self-sustaining, That's not going to stop the state. So they'll say, well, we need force. We need force to to stop the state. And I don't disagree that we need force. We do not need hierarchical force. In Mm. fact, I think that force is more effective when it is not hierarchical, when it is decentralized, when we can strike in autonomous, decentralized ways. And maybe I shouldn't be talking about this on the radio, (laughs) but maybe we should be talking about this amongst the left.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You have so many... um People asking it's interesting because every single time you question these kind of like leftist ideas, people ask you a lot individually and personally ask you, Well, how would you do it? How would you organize like a city? How would you organize like an entire mass of people? I always answer with well, I'm not a dictator so I don't I wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't, I wouldn't organize a, a million, million people. Yeah, <laughs> a vanguard do that <laughs> I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know, you know, the uh, self determinations of so many people. I wouldn't know their identities. I wouldn't know their personal privileges that they have or don't have. And it's interesting in leftist circles or organizing circles because they're all kind of fall into the same kind of category. Yeah, people don't take into account how very colonized their tactics are even to the very way of how they relate to one another. It's like Jay Ray was saying, like, we do have to abolish these power dynamics, these power relations that exist. Even if all of the the people in positions of power were to magically disappear overnight, that would be replaced with people right under them. You can't magically, you know, or you can't really set fire to like a a relationship, a social relations.
1: Hashtag Occupy. Um, (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that was something that was like a horizontal movement that definitely got co-opted right away. Was definitely had everyone from SCIU to RCP to answer that was really excited to try to co-opt it. So even when given the space for something to be different, like, we're not really given the opportunity because there's all these other leftist organizations that feel like they're the vanguard and feel like they're supposed to kind of, like, we're their masses. We're just their masses. Like, we're just there to be in the streets for them.
0: Or they believe in the idea of a vanguard they need a vanguard so they need to recruit people for the vanguard like decolonizing the left is like we don't grow the left or grow the revolution through recruiting people that's just continuing colonization that's a mentality of conversion that's rooted in colonization and religion so when we talk about how we build mass how we organize <laughs> or whatever that looks like we have to look at the how before we look at the what we want. And I find that on the left, it's more about the what we want than it is about the how we get there. And I think that part of decolonizing that is really questioning what we tolerate in our spaces and how we assign credibility. And does uh, someone walking off the street have just as much credibility as an organizer you respect, that you've known, that's considered a mentor, that you know you value their organizing experience more than you value the insight of someone who lives on the day-to-day. So how do how are these experiences valued? And I really would like to get into into the vanguard a little bit because I think that's a huge part of, of decolonizing the left, but I'll wait.
3: Yeah, a couple of things. We are going to try and provide kind of a, like an interactive set of reading lists and documentary uh, footage and zines and stuff on our um, Tumblr and Facebook page that's uh, on Resistance Radio. So you can check that out on Facebook. And Tumblr, if you have the internet, um, a lot of folks in this city don't. You share it out, print it, and do do that sort of thing. Secondly, I just wanted to briefly touch upon the civil disobedience that 50 Walmart workers did a couple weeks ago at the Chinatown Walmart mm. as an example of actually what not to do. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that I'm not proud of these folks for being in the face of 300 armed-to-the-teeth riot cops who were there on purpose to to frighten. But the fact that the tactic of civil disobedience, of sitting in front of a Walmart, which, by the way, we marched against a year ago to try and have it not built. Permitted. Yeah, permitted march. So, yeah, I mean, Walmart has, I think, 212 Walmarts are planned for L.A. County. We so, were
0: also told we didn't have the right to organize against Walmart because we're not from that immediate area also. so
3: Yeah. As if Walmart is from a, an area, <laughs> but yeah, that tactic, right? It it made the, it made the front page of Huffington Post. Like that's that's the left. That's quote unquote progressive ideas. But if if the institutions are celebrating these things, that's a red flag for me. That's like a canary in the coal mine. Forgive me, I, I'm reading The Hunger Games, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a, a, a allusion to that. They're in District Twelve in Appalachia, and
0: I'm waiting really? for them. To, I'm, I'm waiting for them to uprise. I'm really excited. I stopped watching the first movie because they didn't immediately uprise.
3: Well, book two. I just finished book two, and some districts are revolting. Not spoiler alert, everyone. But yeah, <laughs> what I'm saying is essentially that these tactics of civil disobedience, which I've participated in, I have sat down, I have let the cops take me away. I wish I would have made them carry me. But these tactics, we have to be self-critical about these. Um, and the Walmart workers themselves, if y'all are listening, what's it going to take for you to make not just 15 an hour, not just 22 an hour, but actually own a piece of the company that you're working for? You work harder than your bosses, right? And sitting and being a pacifist in the street is not going to get you what you deserve, right? So.
1: Well, aren't they doing food drives for them? Like is not Walmart I just saw like articles, something like that. How Walmart's like trying to like help their employees get like food, so they're doing like food drives or something like that.
3: I know some corporations <laughs> have encouraged their companies to go on food stamps. Well, and Walmart yeah, Walmart's did one, one of them. One of them.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just wanted to bring up Jay Ray had talked about, you know, you have a right like you don't have a right to, you know, protest Walmart because you are not from this community and it's like, well but well, what about people who are houseless? It's like do yeah. people who are houseless not have the right to do anything because you know they don't have any (laughs) rights. they don't have any rights i guess because they don't own any property and i guess it's all the people that own property that have all the rights i just wanted to kind of go back to how very dangerous it is when you're talking about credibility in terms of an individual in relation to like maybe a group of individuals so what happens you know when you have like a very very well-known, reputable, has a lot of social capital. Individual in these leftist spaces, who is just unquestionably a good organizer, and like people fall to them for support and ideas and like so much. I feel like in relation to that, should they do something that is emotionally abusive or or physically abusive, they'll be less likely called out for the, some of the some of the things that they do I just think yeah the the building and the kind of like putting people on a kind of pedestal is definitely kind of dangerous to these organizing circles and what we've seen you know in the past with like the Black Panthers and like even today where you have these reputable organizers who do sexist or racist things and a kind of apologist culture is kind of like surrounded it creates like a chasm of that culture surrounding their reputation and their experience and you can't question it a lot of gender violence was silenced in the 60s and 70s because of these ideas you had vanguardist kind of politics affected in that way you know you have like a party that is doing so many great things and they have that social capital they have that reputation they have that experience And when it becomes problematic in a way that it becomes oppressive and unquestionably so, there you have your replicating the same oppressions that you're you're fighting against.
0: I would say also there's this really interesting entitlement on the left that because the left views itself as separate from the masses, there's like a different standard of behavior or analysis that's applied to the left where you'll see these very reputable organizers and this organizing culture that really is full of pressure and really is not accessible to people and really relies on this, yeah, this ivory tower of academia, having the privilege to struggle in a particular way, having access to the spaces, the language, having even the the ability to tolerate exchanging social capital with other people. I learned from some people in the course of occupy and my radicalization that i'm supposed to work a room you know like that's something <laughs> i'm trying to get away from in my unlearning and my resistance and my revolt i'm not trying to exchange social capital to be honest that hasn't made me a lot of friends and that's <laughs> fine mm. i feel like it's definitely like
1: the issue of like a lot of people who consider themselves leftist too just having like the privilege to be distant from the, the struggle you know, like I've heard a lot of regarding like the White Awards talk about like identity politics. And I didn't I never heard of that before. I didn't understand it. I still don't really understand how it can make sense, because like, I don't know how you really separate your identity from politics. Am I not understanding it correctly? I mean, like, you know, but it's like I heard that like, oh, yeah, you know, people are, are playing too much into identity politics. Me being black is my politics. Like me being a woman is my politics. I don't really know how to separate that. I
2: have a problematic definition I could read for you. (laughs) uh, It says, um, identity politics. The recognition that while various oppressed groups experience their dispossession in ways specific to their oppression, an analysis of these specificities is necessary in order to get a full understanding of how domination functions. Nonetheless... Dispossession is fundamentally the stealing away of the capacity of each of us as individuals to create our lives on our own terms in free association with others. The reappropriation of life on the social level, as well as its full reappropriation on the individual level, can only occur when we stop identifying ourselves, essentially in terms of our social identities. And by this, I would think that it means it means one one particular identity it doesn't a lot of a lot of things when people say identity politics it just it's like you are catering to that one identity you are t- catering to being queer and that is all you are without an intersecting analysis of being an american or being middle class or being able bodied or be you know there's so many identities that we can have i feel like a lot of people do use identity politics to shut down conversations you say they say like oh you're just like appealing to like liberal identity politics at least that's what they say on on the left in a lot of left kind of like organizing or radical circles which yeah we haven't really talked about the kind of like within the left there is an actual divide of the radical versus the liberal so we haven't even we I think the left is about. saying
0: that it's radical. The left is saying the whole that left. no, the, no, no. That's that's what I'm saying. The left and the right aren't to be looked at in this left-right binary. The left is supposed to be radical and lib- and separate from liberalism. Hmm. Isn't it interesting how it's very confusing?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's 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 kind of um, you know. I always considered it, you know, the bipartisan dictatorship. Like it's just you know you have like, the left. Meaning everything leaning to the left, and then like you, the further left you go, the more radical you become, and then the right is, you know, what the right is, and like you can possibly go righter, and and you can go even more right into like the kind of like zealous, like extremist, fundamentalist, or Nazi kind of like fascist mentality.
1: Oh wow, that's the first time we said fascism in this show. It's bad. I, mean. I was going to bring it up earlier
3: when we were talking about genocide and slavery and stuff. So there's mm, so, there's that, so many yeah. detractors that that claim America cannot be fascist because we have no history of genocide. What?
1: That's insulting. What? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're
3: taught, we're colonized, yeah. right, that that fascism is, is Nazism, that, that they're synonymous and that there's nothing else. But mm. that was a thought in my brain earlier.
0: War yeah. on the poor. I also, like, think that a very dominant leftist tactic is agitating amongst the unions and is union organizing bureaucratic workers party that will seize power and infiltrate the dominant state politics and then we will have change. And so I just kind of want to throw out, you know, that the, the strength in unions is not in the leadership and in the bureaucracy, it's in worker solidarity. But when you're making demands of the institution for better conditions under capitalism, you are not challenging capitalism. And, you know, the strength is in workers' solidarity seizing decision-making power, not in just seizing the means of production, but in seizing how we make decisions. Okay, Best Buy, major corporation, bunch of workers go on strike, bunch of workers band together, realize they have common interests, decide to seize decision-making – if they're still making all the things that Best Buy makes, if they're still selling all the things that Best Buy makes, we have not challenged capitalism. <laughs> so the workers would have to be able to repurpose and change how things are being produced and cut production. We're not just trying to seize production. We need to cut production. Like If you want to include an environmental analysis. So it's interesting because I just see a lot of tactics like you know workers, um, self-organization, Anarcho-syndicalism um, unions that really just relies on you know seizing the workplace and doesn't talk about decision making, uh, which is I think a, a fault a fault of leftism.
3: I think that's a great point. And another example that popped into my head was that if McDonald's workers seized the means of production and decision making power, they would not still be making Big Macs. You know they would be making food that's that they'd actually want to eat, and the whole system would change. If that happens, and they right. might
0: be actually feeding their own communities, which yeah. mean their communities wouldn't have to go out and get a job at the nearest, nearly oppressive workplace. Mm. <coughs> mm.
3: So we're running out of time. Almost, what kind of solutions do we have?
2: The rejection of shut. making demands to power. <laughs> I mean,
1: maybe we can link that. Yeah,
2: we. I can, can definitely we? link this. This we read from link politics. Also, What's to it called? Life. It's, it's called um, <laughs> from <laughs> politics to life. It is heavily theoretical and yeah. kind of really. Um, they they do talk about identity politics as in I, I have a criticism of of, of the read but I mean, it's it's great I have a I, mean, I don't I don't agree
0: with like when you classify it identity politics and like you make it sound like this insidious thing like I don't want to identify according to my impression either mm-hmm. but like I'm not trying to use that identity to like qualify in your leftist strategy <laughs> leftist strategy <laughs>
3: for me uh, the term identity politics it came up for the first time a couple years ago. And I saw something valid to it, but I was a sheltered, middle-class, white person. A couple of years now have gone on, and my experiences have, have changed a little bit, and I, it seems really, really hollow to me. Um, it seems really racist, and it seems like it's a way to perpetuate the silencing of the other, the silencing of the, of the marginalized, to, to keep the status quo going. So um, to me, like that's, that needs to really be rechecked and questioned.
1: So in regards to solutions for like how we decolonize the left, I guess like we'd be talking about it more would be one. And just like also like there's well, a
3: culture of silence around stuff. You're right.
1: Well, because you're not suppo- there's you know, there's a hierarchy. And so you're not supposed to like question. And if you question, then like it seems like you're stepping on someone's turf. You're trying to question their authority. Like you're trying to like knock them out so you can be in power. And like that idea of power and just like deconstructing all of those things and rejecting
0: them at the same time. I'd also say rejecting the fact that raising criticism means you have to provide a solution. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, honestly, like that's the biggest critique I get from leftism is usually like, "Well, you're naming all the problems. Like, what? That's what you're against. What are you for? Like, where's your platform? Like, where are your demands? Like, blah program, blah 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 blah. Give me program. the program. And, give me the vanguard. And that's
3: how we've been colonized, right? Like, if okay, this menu isn't good. What's your menu? What, what can I eat? What can I consume? What is your idea for me to consume in place of this other idea, right? Because that's how I'm taught and encouraged to
0: think. Thanks for listening to On Resistance Radio. You can find us on Facebook um, at facebook.com/onresistance on Tumblr at onresistanceradio.tumblr.com and onresistanceradio at gmail.com. I'm going to read our statement of political autonomy in closing. We are a partyless, leaderless, brandless, anti-capitalist radio collective. We are politically autonomous. We do not represent anyone but ourselves and are not affiliated or in allegiance to any established organization or group. We hope to have an additional show uh, at the end of this year, and then we will be having a five-week series around January to February, and the theme will be War on the Poor. If you have any suggestions, make sure to hit up our online media outlets.
1: Also, we're going to try to get a table at the Anarchist Book Fair, so hopefully we can see you in person.